please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Basham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my hope, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the ones who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Though this is God's word. Powerful psalm we're going to dig into this morning. But uh, just a recap of VBS, it was a lot of fun. So it'd be good to bring a little bit of that to you at the, the opening of this sermon. 
On Tuesday, we were telling the story about Zacchaeus, a man of short stature, but really, really small heart. He was a tax collector, self-centered and selfish, but he still wanted to see Jesus, so as Jesus was coming by, he climbed the tree, and at that point, Jesus called him by name, asked him to come down, and asked to have dinner with him. At that point, he realized Jesus' personal love for him, and his heart began to grow. And as he spent time, more and more time, his heart grew and grew and grew. But of course, over time, if you're away from Jesus, begins, your heart can, can be, begin to deflate again. His heart had been so big that his, his life was transformed. He who had cheated others gave away half of his wealth to the poor. And those he cheated, he gave back $4 for every dollar he had stolen from them. He was transformed because the love of Jesus filled his heart. But as I say, if we don't spend time with him, our hearts can deflate. So what we need to do is come back to the love of Jesus Christ and let that love refill us. Until we're ready to give away again. You know, that's the Christian life in a nutshell. Don't let your hearts do that. <laughs> Keep filling it. Abide in Christ's love. And where do we find that love? We find that love. The wonder and grandeur of it, we find it in the gospel. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. The gospel is central to our spiritual lives and to God's glory. It's the entry gate to our relationship with God. It's the fuel for our Christian living. And it's the pathway to our eternal destiny. And it is the fireworks display of the beauty and splendor of all of God's attributes. His holiness, his justice, his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his unchangeable nature, it's all there in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son for us should continually enliven our spirits. The verse that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us should continually melt our hearts. Yet, we read it and hear it so often that we can become desensitized to it. It can go in and out of our ears without ever circulating around our hearts. Psalm 22 is the antidote to any sedated sense of the cross. Because in this psalm, we join with Jesus' experience on the cross, his suffering for us, and his praise of God's glory.
Let's pray. Our Father, I'm inadequate to convey what only your Spirit can convey this morning. That is what Jesus Christ suffered for us. So may your Spirit take your word, the sword of the Spirit, and cut into our hearts the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 22 is a psalm of David. We're not sure what the occasion was that brought out these feelings, but we know that he expresses emotions that are far beyond anything he personally felt or experienced. The psalm pictures an execution. And although David had coups against him, he never faced an execution. The psalm speaks of a blessing that goes throughout the entire world. Any work of David only impacted his own nation. And so the book of Acts points out that often when a psalm When David speaks through a psalm, he is not speaking for himself, but he is speaking truth about Jesus. Three of the verses in our passage are cited by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus' experience at the cross. And Jesus personalizes the first verse of this psalm. So we're going to approach this psalm as Charles Spurgeon did when he said, Psalm 22 is the photograph of the Lord's saddest hours, the record of his dying words, the memorial of his expiring joys. David and his afflictions may be here in a very modified sense, but as the star is concealed by the sun, he who sees Jesus will probably neither see nor care to see David. In order for us to be singularly focused today, we're going to zero in on Jesus' experience. We're going to look at Jesus' suffering, Jesus' petition, and God's provision. The psalm opens with words that Jesus himself spoke from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' cry served three purposes. First, it drew the attention of this crowd to Psalm 22. See, every Jewish person witnessing the crucifixion knew the Psalms backwards and forwards. So when they heard these words, they should have immediately begun to think Psalm 22. And think their way through that psalm and realize that what is expressed in Psalm 22 was happening before their very eyes. And they should have concluded that Jesus was actually fulfilling the sacrifice that was needed for the kingdom of God to come. They should have acknowledged him as Savior. Second, it displayed Jesus' faithfulness to God. Despite the physical torture he was enduring and the spiritual pain of separation from the Father, pain beyond anything anyone has ever experienced, Jesus' faith never faltered. He cried out, My God, 
my God. He was faithful. And third, these words point to the spiritual penalty that Jesus paid on the cross when he died for our sins. Pastor David Guzik wrote, we can imagine the answer to Jesus' question, why, God? Because, my son, you have chosen to stand in the place of guilty sinners. You who have never known sin have made the infinite sacrifice to become sin and receive my just wrath that sin and sinners deserved. You do this because of your great love and because of my great love. You know, Matthew 27 describes the scene fuller. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, saying, Ele, Ele, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had been on the cross for three hours before he uttered his soul-wrenching cry. Something happened in that ninth hour that was different from the physical torment he was enduring. It was his spiritual separation from God the Father. For when he took our sins upon himself, God could no longer embrace him because sin separates all of us from God. And even though Jesus had never sinned, he was now taking our sin upon himself. You know, I used to think that the darkness was God expressing his displeasure at the Romans and Jews who were crucifying Jesus until I learned that the darkness was actually related to Jesus's being judged by God. Craig Glickman describes the meaning of Jesus, the light of the world, being enveloped in darkness. The darkness Jesus had resisted had engulfed him. Not the darkness of the sky, but the darkness of sin. The darkness of the sky had simply foreshadowed it. Punishment for the sins of others was falling upon Christ. And the punishment for sin was separation from God, first through spiritual death, secondly through physical death. Christ would soon taste the second, but now experience the first. And when he did, his cry of agony shot through the darkness like a thunderbolt. Glickman notes another feature of Jesus' cry. My God, my God. Every other time Jesus had prayed to God, he'd always addressed him as Father. Only here in all of Scripture does Jesus address him with a less personal God. Jesus' familial relationship with the Father had been severed. The eternal love relationship between the Father and Son was broken. And the crushing weight of God's judgment had fallen upon him. Despite his incomprehensible distress, he did not distrust his Father. He continued to proclaim God's holiness and faithfulness. Notice verses 3 through 5. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and 
We're not put to shame. Jesus remembered how God had answered the prayer of his forefathers, how he had delivered his chosen people countless times, and this added to his comfort, but also to his despair, to his comfort in the fact that he knew the God he cried to could deliver his distress, knowing that God was not delivering him. Those God delivered were not put to shame. Jesus was. And we see this in verses 6 through 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And you can almost hear the laughter as those words are spoken. Matthew paints a vivid picture of this happening at the cross. The crowd insulted Jesus, and the religious leaders taunted him, saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel, then let him come down from the cross. He trusts in God, let God deliver him if he deserves it. For he said, I am the Son of God. Jesus was not immune to the pain of rejection. He was so deeply despised and rejected that he felt as though he was a worm. The incarnate God was dehumanized by those who created him. Whom he created. Got to get that right. If you ever question that God can relate to you in your darkest moments, turn back to these words. His enemies use his crucifixion as evidence that he was a false prophet and blasphemer. God never rescued Jesus, so that proves Jesus was not loved by the Father. He was not the Son of God. He was a liar and a fraud. And yet, Jesus' love, even for them, was so great, he prayed, Father, forgive them. Love that is incomprehensible. Jesus suffered spiritually God rejected him relationally as humanity rejected him. And he suffered physically. Verses 12 through 12 and following. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. The animals are a figurative description of the powers that overtook Jesus. They were malicious opponents described as raging bulls, devouring lions, and later as vicious dogs, all intent on tearing him apart, and they did. The psalm details verses 14 and 15, I am poured out like water, 
My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. These verses express what one would feel being nailed on the cross in the heat of the day. Dehydration, intense pain racking one's body as it stretched to the breaking point, the bones are dislocated, and he felt he was on the verge of death as one poured out like water. Sin's curse, the threat of his body becoming dust, was imminent. Verses 16 and 17 continue. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, and they've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Once again, he images his enemies gloating over his death as, they would have, as though they've won a victory through their cruelty over him. The pain of the moment is felt as the nails been driven through his hands and feet to fasten him to the cross. He can count his bones as he stretched across the wooden beams. And the psalmist presented a, the psalmist presented a perfect description of ex- execution by crucifixion. Everyone can recognize it. One time I read this portion of Psalm 22 to a friend of mine who was not yet a Christian. And I asked him, I said, who's this describing? Quickly, he said, Jesus, as though I was reading the New Testament. I was able to tell him, no, this was written 1,000 years before Jesus was nailed to a cross. 500 years before crucifixion was ever used as a form of a punishment. Can you see? You read this and you know. You know God has prophesied. God said beforehand exactly what would happen to Jesus. They even divided his clothes. And some people say that Jesus orchestrated all of this to fulfill it. He couldn't orchestrate people nailing his hands. He couldn't orchestrate soldiers dividing his clothes. He couldn't orchestrate the religious leaders mocking him in the same way that the psalmist is mocked in Psalm 22. It is a great proof of Christianity. So even though... Jesus' heavenly Father had abandoned him, closed his ears to Jesus. He continued to entrust himself to God. He knew that God was compassionate, good, despite the fact he wasn't feeling it at the moment. Often we don't feel it at the moment, but we, need, like Jesus, need to go back to those truths about God we know. And so he prayed for his deliverance, verses 19 through 21. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You've rescued me from the horns 
of the wild oxen. He cried out for rescue from death. He metaphorically described it as the sword. He prayed for deliverance from the enemies whom he described as ravenous dogs overcoming him, vicious lions devouring him, wild oxen goring him. God answered his prayer. He was rescued, as we know, not, not from the cross, but from death through the resurrection. While the dogs, lions, and oxen that surrounded him thought that God had not heard his prayers, that his life was over, they were all proven wrong three days later. God answered his prayers. We see it in that last verse. He ha you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. In verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. You know, at first look, the psalm seems to be self-contradictory. Verse 1, we see the afflicted one is forsaken. God is not hearing his prayers, not answering them. In verse 24, it says God has not hidden his face. And he has been heard. So how do we reconcile these two passages? By realizing that this psalm foreshadows not only Christ's death, but also his resurrection. In his death, he was forsaken. In his resurrection, he was rescued. The remainder of the psalm offers insight into why Jesus would allow the Jews and the Romans to crucify him. I mean, he's God. He could have stopped it at any moment. He could have overcome his adversaries in an instant. He could have simply spoken and knocked them down like he did the soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have called legions of angels who were on the edge of heaven just waiting for the request Save me. Instead, he went like a helpless lamb to slaughter. Why? Because he loved someone more than he loved his own life. That someone is you. That someone is God. As precious as his life was to him, your life is more precious. As much as he enjoyed his relationship with the Father, he treasured the Father's glory more than he treasured even that relationship. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame because of the joy that was set before him. This psalm gives us insight into what that joy was. It's you and God's glory. Verse 20, uh, 26 and 28. The afflicted one shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation shall worship before him for kingship, belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. 
Jesus endured the cross for you and me. The afflicted one shall eat and be satisfied. That speaks of God's provision for us. You know, picture a meal, Thanksgiving, maybe even greater. Picture a feast that can satisfy every desire. Jesus provides a spiritual feast through his death on the cross that can satisfy every human longing. He provides abundant life, forgiveness, the removal of guilt, a relationship with God, new beginnings, a lasting purpose, comfort, encouragement, challenge, and empowerment from the Holy Spirit, everlasting life. All of these and more are what Christ brings us. He had to die to do it. These are offered now, but they're going to be ours in full when Christ returns to rule over the nations as described in those verses. At that time, all the curses resulting from sin are going to be reversed. Everything that is sad is going to be undone and everything that is broken will be made new. Jesus endured the cross for us. He endured the cross for the glory of God. See, Jesus has been passionate about glorifying God from eternity past. It's always been in his relationship. And that passion intensified, if that's at all possible, as he approached his final days. Moments before he was arrested, he prayed to the Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. That was in his heart when he went to the cross. And what we see in this psalm is his personal praise of God. Then his call for the Jews to praise their Lord. And then it expands to the world and then through all of posterity. Notice verses 22 through 23. I will tell of your name to the brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. We can sense his excitement about speaking to his brothers, the Jewish people. He's intent on praising God, calling his listeners the offspring of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So he calls them, the Jewish people, to praise God, to glorify him and stand in awe of him. The praises are going to fill the world, as we read earlier in verse 27. All the families of the nation shall worship you. Does this excite you? that God is so praised, that so glorified through the cross, excited Jesus. Verse 30 and 31, posterity will ser shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations that they shall call and proclaim his righteousness to people yet unborn that he has done it. We should stand in awe as we consider God's love for us when he sends his son to die on the cross for us. As I said, it is the fireworks display 
of all of his attributes in their fullness, seen in no other work of God, not even creation. Jesus' greatest desire that our world for, would forever be giving the God the glory he deserves will be fulfilled. Our prayers, hallowed be your name, will be a reality throughout the earth one day. <clears throat> Jesus' path to endurance can be ours as well. What's the hope that's set before you? Is it a rescue from your current circumstances? You can pray for that, Jesus did. However, Jesus endured the cross because his hope was set on God's glory and our thriving. His love for God and his love for us was greater than his love for himself. That's the pathway to endurance. Is that true of you? It's a high calling. How do we ever get to the point where other people's lives, God's glory, is more important to us than ourselves? Only by our hearts growing. Being filled with the love of God. We love, we serve, we obey because he first loved us. Psalm 22 can help fill our hearts with that love when we meditate on what Jesus did for us. Preach it to yourself every day, every hour. Let's all abide in Christ's love. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for the richness of this psalm. The heart of Jesus in pain and the heart of Jesus in ecstasy. In pain for what he endured, in ecstasy for what he accomplished for us and for God's glory. May we now, having had our hearts filled with Christ, sing to the praise of his glory. Amen.